Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by giving you my top five productivity tips absolutely free. To get them, just go to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Get my top five productivity tips for free today. On the show today, we're going to have Susan Bowles. She's a virtual CFO and growth architect. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on in our world today and how you can be a better leader. Great episode. Grab something to write with. Get ready because you're going to get a lot of value starting right now. Susan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I love the blue background. I wish my audience could see that. It's a nice picture perfect blue background. Like I'm looking at the sky, like maybe you're up in the sky right now. It's, so it's it's actually one of my brand colors. It's just a wall in my office, but it makes a great backdrop for videos. <laughs> yeah, it does. But the, the 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 audience is going, wait a minute, we can't see. Well, yeah, it's a, <laughs> just imagine a really pretty blue background. That's that's what I'm looking at right now. So soon, really awesome to have you on the show. Before we get started, why don't you take about 20 seconds or so. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Susan Bowles. My company is called ScaleSpark, and I'm a virtual CFO and operations advisor. And I work primarily with coaches, consultants, agencies, so service-based businesses. And we talk about all things technology. Uh, we do software and finances because I'm a big believer that pretty much your whole operations, they're all interconnected. Your business is actually an ecosystem. And so while the finances show you the results of that, you know, they're the one that's telling a story of what has already happened in order to fix whatever is going wrong. You actually have to look at other parts of your business. Mm -hmm. So it might be a team problem. It might be a software problem. It might be a process problem. Um, so my work kind of encompasses all of that. So I'm a little bit of an unconventional CFO because I don't do <laughs> just finances. I do um, kind of the whole operations because I think that's how you run a better business is looking at the whole picture. I remember when I was growing up back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, uh, we didn't really have software. People don't understand the internet is relatively new. And mm -hmm. now we have all these things like I use Calendly to schedule my, my appointments. I, you know, I use HubSpot for my CRM, but we didn't always have that. And back in the day, only the really big, rich, wealthy companies, well, rich and wealthy, the same thing, but they had access to the software, but the little guy did now in 2020. Well, we all have access to these tools. There's different levels. You can pay different levels, but I really love automation. I love the fact that, you know, we're dealing with this COVID-19 thing now that we can work remotely back 30 years ago, you couldn't really work remotely because there was no such thing. I mean, computers were you know relatively new. We didn't have the capabilities, Zoom and Facebook and all that stuff. So I'm really pleased. I always say technology is a blessing and a curse. Being able to do the Zoom call with you or do you know Facebook Live is a blessing. But when people spend too much time on Facebook, scrolling endlessly or on Instagram, that could be a curse. So I really like the fact that technology allows us to connect literally globally. Yeah. And, it, you know, it the difference between running your own business now and running your own business even 10 years ago is just so dramatically different in how you can use technology to lower the amount of time you have to spend 
sending invoices or, you know, admit like the actual administration of your business, you know, so I started my first business, I think in 2004. Um, and I was a professional organizer and it was early, fairly early days of the internet. I literally put up a, uh, I think a Weebly website at that point, but I was like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a professional organizer. And I got clients from that. Like I didn't do any SEO. I didn't, there was no like, deeper involvement other than I existed <laughs> online where most yep. people didn't. Um, and it was such a different business than now. You know, I had a website. But that was about it. That was the extent <laughs> of the technology that was available to a small business at that point. Um, you know, it was basically a blog and everything else I had to do. I printed invoices. I had to, like, I actually worked with my clients in person. And it was just a totally different experience than you know, even when I started um, my second business, so my second business, we did, um, we bought a guest ranch. So it was a physical business. Um, and we were running a guest ranch in Northwestern Colorado. But even the behind the scenes of that, uh, the internet wasn't great there. So we ran the whole business off of a Verizon hotspot wow. <laughs> because we couldn't actually get internet service to the ranch. It was too remote. It was like just south of the Wyoming border. Um, and we bordered up against the wilderness. It was a beautiful place to be, but technologically it was just awful. Like I remember having to go into town to the library to like download big PDFs, <laughs> but we were able to harness the power of technology for booking systems and, um, interacting with big like TripAdvisor websites and all of that was possible. So we could run our company with just me and my husband basically, um, and didn't have too much other administration. And the same as my business now, you know, I use a lot of technology so that it's pretty much possible for me to be a one person shop. I mean, I work with other consultants and, and that sort of thing, but I don't have a lot of, I don't need a lot of staff. Mm. Um, and that's all made possible by using technology that's available now. That's inexpensive technology. Yes. They're not spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for 20 bucks. You can, you know, get this tool that, uh, if you like Zapier is a great example of a tool that's so much value for the amount of money, 20 bucks a month, and you can automate pretty much anything in your business. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now I got to ask you the virtual CFO. I, I've never heard anyone use that phrase before. So how did you come up with that? Because I'm thinking to myself, those of you who don't know, CFO is chief financial officer, right? That's what the app means for you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Just want to make sure it wasn't like the chief fund officer or something like that. Um, no. So, I mean, where did you come up with the idea of the virtual CFO? Because, I mean, I understand what it is, but I'm just curious uh, what prompted you or what inspired you to come up with that? Um, so I actually didn't come up with it, you know, uh, professionally, uh, I have been a CFO for about, um, I guess about 10 years now. Okay. Um, I never intended to become a CFO, but I got an MBA. My background is basically- That wasn't your dream when you were a little girl? You It was not my dream. I did not grow up going, when I grow up, I'm going to be a CFO. Uh, I started out my professional career in business intelligence. So I was always the data technology geek. Like that was, that was who I was. And I ended up getting an MBA because I thought- you know, I thought I was going to own businesses and I thought that having an MBA would make it easier for me to get funding, which is in fact not true at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had an MBA. I had a background in data. I had done a lot of the technology part of running our own businesses. And I guess about 10 years ago, I got hired by a virtual accounting firm and they were entirely virtual. Um, I never at any point when I was working for the company 
physically met any of the people I worked with or worked for. Um, and this was, um, yeah, I guess almost 10 years ago now. Um, so it was pretty early days of zoom and, but all of the accounting stuff is all online now. You know, there's a lot of really, really robust cloud accounting platforms. So the accounting space, even though um, a lot of accountants are very reluctant to jump into, you know, using cloud type technology, um, it's actually one of the easiest professions to move online. Um, the tools are all there. They're really robust. Um, it's, a, it's a business that is ripe for being automated. Um, and so I'm sure it's secure I'm, as well, right? That's it, probably a yeah. big, con- big concern. For I mean, people. most, most of the, uh, cloud software spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars to make sure that their platforms have the best security. Okay. So oftentimes, you know, it's better than just your server in your, you know, in, in your house that <laughs> could easily get hacked. Right. Um, you know, they make it their business to make these platforms secure. And, um, so I got hired as a, as a virtual CFO for another accounting firm, but as their um, kind of data and technology person. So I was their expert in implementing software and recommending the right tools and um, doing all of that work in an online environment. So I definitely didn't coin it. Um, and where ScaleSpark kind of came out of that was that um, I actually started ScaleSpark as a software consultancy. Um, so I took, you know, my experience and said, you know what, you know what I really want to do is recommend the right software for small businesses so that nobody else has to kind of do that really painful learning curve that I had to do, which was learn all of the technology and figure out what each one should do and make all of the mistakes of mm-hmm. picking the wrong one. Um, and so ScaleSpark started as a software consultancy and professionally, I was still working full time as a CFO. Um, not for the virtual accounting firm. I was actually working as a CFO for a university um, and realized that I kept forgetting to tell my clients that I had experience as a CFO. You know, we were your software, and particularly the software that I implement, is uh, financial specific for the most part. Financial and project management is kind of where I tend to focus. And um, I kept forgetting to tell them that I was a CFO and <laughs> was saying, you know, this is actually really impacting your finances. It really needs to connect to your financial software. Making that connection requires, you know, reorganizing the data in XYZ way. Um, and they were very confused to be getting financial <laughs> recommendations from their software person. Um, and so I finally realized that, you know, I actually still was a CFO. Um, and I'm just a CFO that really, really loves technology, which is kind of unusual these days. But um, so that's kind of where the CF, the virtual CFO thing came from was Interesting. just kind of a gradual evolution and combining of like these different areas of my experience. Um, so it, it's just kind of my approach to your finances has a lot to do with harnessing technology. Absolutely. So as we continue to go through this global zombie apocalypse pandemic, <laughs> do you think that uh, where do you think we're going let me ask you this uh, let me ask you that this way do you think that people who a great number of people are now working from home obviously servers and all those people can't work from home but do you think this is our new air quotes here normal that when we come out the other side of this a lot of companies that have been working from remotely are going to continue doing it i've heard that um I think Twitter and Facebook said that if you can work from home, you know, for the, forever you're going to be working from home. Do you think this is our new normal or do you think 
eventually when we come out the other side of this and we we're sure that this thing is behind us, you think people are going to start going back to the brick and mortar businesses? I don't know. So I think this has been coming for a really long time. And one of the things that always bugged me about being in corporate or being in education was this kind of perspective that your worth is how many hours you're sitting at your desk, mm. right? Um, like that's that was one of the biggest reasons for me to start my own business was realizing that, you know, by like 10, 1030 in the day, I had finished all of the work. Like that was, I was out of stuff to do. <laughs> And the rest of the day was pretty much just me sitting there and I didn't need to be sitting there. Um, but I was waiting for other people to do work or, you know, waiting for the meeting to happen yep. or they're just that's, but that's, that's the cultural norm in a lot of businesses, or at least it was before. And there was always this perspective. Um, and I think it's a specific management perspective of if your employees aren't there, if you can't see them, how do you know that they're working? Um, and I think that requires, you know, the the shift to remote requires a shift of perspective mm. of instead of valuing the hours that your employees are sitting at their desk, you know, value the work that they're doing, value the, you know, that the value they're building in your company. And I think that shift is kind of starting to happen um, in that people are being aware that, yeah, people didn't need to be sitting next to each other to get work done. Um, and in fact, most studies show that if you are working remotely, you're actually a whole lot more effective because you're not interrupted 15 times yes. by somebody walking past your office to be like, hey, there's donuts in the break room yep. or um, <laughs> to talk about their weekend. You know, that's a lot harder to do when you're all in your own yes. homes. And so there are a lot of financial benefits to working remotely and that you don't have to pay for an office, which is usually one of the biggest costs. Not um, to mention the utilities, you know, the insurance, yeah, all that stuff. It all it's adds huge. up. Um, and so when you're looking to cut costs, that's one of the easiest costs to cut as long as you are open to that. But it also requires a shift in how you manage your employees, what you expect of them. Um, you know, th those are required shifts. So I think for a lot of companies, this will be a shift, like a permanent shift. And I think that's probably good. But I also think there are, there are people who work really well from home and there are people who really don't. Yes. Um, who that's not an ideal environment. And uh, my husband and I see this. So he's a real estate agent. Um, so he can work from kind of wherever. And originally he had been working from home and realized that, you know, he's an extrovert. He likes being around people. And for him, it was really energetically depleting to be just working from home. So he started going into, they have an office um, and he started going into the office a couple of times a week before, you know, before all of this. Um, and that helped him be better at his job because he was getting more energetically fulfilled where for me, I really crave alone time. I'm technically an introvert and um, I get a lot of my energy from being alone. And so I love working from home because my interaction with people is by choice. Mm. Um, you know, I can really control how much interaction I have with other people um, by virtue of me working from home. So I think there's probably going to be a mix, you know, when we're allowed to go back to working in person, I think there are certain personalities or certain types of companies that will find that they just have a lot of people who really like being around people and really don't like working from home. Um, and then there'll be some where they find that like, that's a good part of their company culture and they 
all their employees like it. And I think um, that may end up being a big like recruiting determination in the future. Yes, you know? I agree. I'm actually listening. I'm going to grab my iPhone real quick. Um, I'm actually listening to a book right now. I want to get the title of it because it's very interesting. It is called quiet the power of introverts and mm. I, I i it was interesting because i always thought that i was an extrovert and i said no i'm an introvert but it turns out i'm an ambivert so when, when i'm on my podcast when i'm on the stage remember we used to speak from the stage another <laughs> lifetime you know <laughs> uh, you know i i can turn into an extrovert but i like being by myself and the book talks about something very interesting they've actually proven that brainstorming and open office space doesn't really work for introverts because introverts work best behind the closed door where they can quiet they can be in their own little room and if you're like facebook mark zuckerberg wanted to have but he has open offices well if you're an introvert that's very distracting because you're trying to think an idea and these people are talking on this side and these people are talking on this side and they're they're planning a birthday party over here and it's like so if you're an extrovert you get that it's like yes I love that but to your point some people like you and me we like to be in our homes where it's quiet my wife and I are empty nesters we have a you know a 2 year old puppy and two really old cats so it's really quiet here <laughs> and like right now when I'm recording my podcast she takes the dog to the to the dog park because she got laid off from her job. And I, this is my environment. This is how I can create content for my, my audience and stuff like that. But when I'm doing a live training, then I come alive. And I, I, I think you have a point there. The leaders and the companies have to decide, okay, who is best to work from home? Who works their best when they're in isolation? Because even though you have an office, let's face it, people can still come by, like you said, knock on the door, ask you to sign a get well card, and it's very distracting. And I think that we're going to see this shift, to use your word, that, okay, where do we go from here? I don't think the answer is just to bring everyone back. I think if you got people who've proven that their great assets work from home, well, then let them stay working from home. When this thing's over, don't bring them back because now they're in their element. But like you said, some people need to be brought back to the office, maybe because, well, they're not very good workers. Let's put it that way to work from home. Some people cannot be trusted to work from home. They may have like the ESPN on the TV over here while they're trying to answer phone calls or something like that. So it is a balance. And I don't know how the leaders are going to uh, um, approach this because how do you determine I guess you can do it analytically to find out who was a better employee during the work from home and who was not. But I, I think that this is going to forever change the landscape of business. I think it is. And I think, you know, probably the right way is to ask people what their preference is. Um, Cause people know if they work better in an office or they work better from home, especially, you know, now having worked from home, yeah. there's a lot of people who are like, I hate this or, <laughs> you know, they live in a tiny apartment and they don't actually like, for me, I have an office, you know, I have a room that's separate that I can go to that is the place where I do my work. Mm -hmm. um, but that's because we bought a house knowing that I needed to do that. Yes. Um, where a lot of people don't, they don't have that physical space to be able to do good work. Um, and maybe they just don't have the personality. That's not where their happy place is. And I think one of the things that companies have to be careful of um, is that when you have a mixed workforce where some are remote and some are in person, sometimes the people who are working remotely get shuffled off. They get forgotten mm. about and they don't get included as part of the overall company culture. Um, and I've been one of those people where I'm like the only person that works from home. Um, <laughs> and you just get forgotten. 
your voice doesn't get heard. And so I think as we evolve into kind of this maybe mixed office space where some people are working from home and some people are working from the office, you know, company leaders need to be really cognizant of making sure that their culture embraces people who are physically there and people who are not physically there and making sure that, you know, if you have a mixed environment that the remote people don't get forgotten about. Yes. And I know a lot of coders, I know coders, they're nerds. Mm-hmm. They they don't like to be with crowds. They want to sit behind their 27 monitors, their 50 screen monitor and do code. That's what they like to do. They don't like to talk to people. They have the well, music and going. And, and code is so, it's such a focused work. Yes, yes. I mean, if you are writing code and you get interrupted, good luck getting back to where you were without yes. sitting there for 30 minutes trying to figure out what your train of thought was and where you were and I mean, it's it's work that really does require deep focus and uninterrupted time to do good work. Yes. I, I There's a show on Apple TV Plus that my wife and I watched. It was called Mystic Quest, and it's about this video game. And I remember they have this big room with all these coders working, and one of my friends told me, he said, that's not real. Coders would not work in a group like that. It never would happen because even, he said, even when you're, when you're he, said, he said, coders don't like tap on the keyboard really loud and these people were like really tapping like that would drive us crazy we, we we're light tappers because like you said we don't like distraction we had to focus and and you can take that to any job i mean like you take it a restaurant there are people who are born servers there are people like i'll just cook the food i don't want to come out and meet the guests and so i think it's it's um it's up to the leader to get to know the team well, this should actually happen before you hire them. Find out what kind of teammate they are. Some <laughs> people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some people like me ambiverts. Um, but you have to know the strength of your team. And I, I, I'm, you know, we got past the Spanish flu in 1918. We went through a whole bunch of other stuff, recessions and whatnot. And I'm hoping that the leaders of these companies are all learning as we go because. Right now, even though we're in the midst of this pandemic, the leaders should be going, hmm, how are we going to change? Like, for example, one of the companies that got really caught unaware was Zoom. Okay. Now, I've been using Zoom for years to record my podcast interviews. Well, when everybody started working from home, boom, Zoom took off. Well, they weren't ready for it. They had a lot of uh, security issues and they didn't have the bandwidth there because who who thought this is coming? No one thought this is coming. But now they're going to be good going forward. And I, I think it's really easy to go, wow, we should have done this. Look at, don't dwell on the past, learn from the past and go forward and make better decisions because you can't go back in time and fix the things before they happened. No, and I'm starting to see a lot of that um, personally is that, you know, there's a lot of business owners out there that when things are going very well, when you are making money, it is very easy to ignore the internal workings and to ignore being profitable or ignore your costs as they balloon up because you're making money. There's money in the bank accounts, so we don't have to worry about it. And I think this was a really good wake up call for a lot of people to realize that that's, you know, paying attention to your finances and to your costs and how effective you are as an organization is always a good investment. Um, you know, that's, it was the same thing I was saying back in January. Uh, it was just a lot. It, it didn't strike as close to home for a lot of people. <laughs> um, and when, you know, your cash flow 100% stops for a while, that's a big wake up call to, you know, maybe that software that you've been paying for for a year and have not used or yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. the team member that's not as effective as you would like them to be. 
um, or maybe doesn't have the right skills for the position that they're in, you know? And so I think for me personally, this was a great wake up call for a lot of people. And the benefit is going to be, I mean, it's scary for sure. We're all managing a lot of uncertainty and trying to figure out what's coming next. But running a good, profitable, solid, sustainable business is always going to be a good practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is a wake-up call for a lot of people that, you know, when business is booming, you don't have to worry about it as much. It's so much easier to get away with um, a a shaky foundation. Yeah. And now with that, but, you know, to your point, when things are going really well, it's like, well, this employee, yeah, but you know what? We're making a lot of money, so we'll keep him or her on. When mm-hmm. something like COVID happens, now you're like, okay, they got to go. And I, I think that that shouldn't be the case. I think it should be when you start thinking that, hmm, they're not really pulling their weight. You should have the conversation and then maybe let them go. You shouldn't wait till a crisis happens. I, they shouldn't even be there. And I've worked when I used to be, I got fired from corporate America back in 2005. So before that, I used to see it all the time. People were there because business was good. As soon as business slowed down, they were let go. And I'm like, then why were they here when business was going good? They didn't pull their weight. They were like dead weight. And the company say, wow, we're doing well. To your point, I'm like, they should never have been there. But it took a crisis, whether it was a pandemic or uh, you know, uh, a recession, to get rid of the people. And I'm like, that should never be the case. Those people should not be there. When you enter a crisis, you should have a lean, mean fighting machine as a staff. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I always end up talking to clients about is making sure that they have the right people in the right positions Mm -hmm. doing the right jobs, because that makes a huge difference to how effective and profitable and resilient your organization can be. And as a leader, you know, firing somebody is a very uncomfortable conversation to have. And most people shy away from it as long as they possibly can. Um, But usually what happens is if you can kind of if you can get yourself to have that uncomfortable conversation and just say, Hey, you know, this isn't the right position for you, or you, you know, you're not a great fit. Or, um, the other thing is clearly communicating your expectations, which very rarely happens. Um, and usually then, you know, if you're hearing a lot of, Oh, my staff is awful and they never, you know, they never do what they're supposed to do. Oftentimes the question is, well, did you, did you tell them (laughs) what they're supposed to be doing? Did you explain to them what your expectations are? Yes. Um, Which is always also an uncomfortable conversation. And it's uncomfortable as the leader to be, well, did I, did I really tell them? I don't know. Um, I thought I did, but oftentimes, you know, we think we did in our heads and we didn't actually say the words. (laughs) Well, it's like when you talked about when you work in your home office and I always tell people, you know, you tell people in your family that, okay, when I'm in this area, I'm at work and don't interrupt me unless it's an emergency, but you actually explain what an emergency is. Because Bobby took the toy away from Susie. Okay, no, you go to mom or dad for that. That's not an emergency. The house on fire is an emergency. So you just can't say an emergency because a lack of plan. I've I've heard this so many times in my life. A lack of planning on your part does not necessitate an emergency on my part. So if you forgot to ask me something, you forgot to do something, well, now I'm in work mode. And I think it goes back whether you're working from home or working in a corporate environment. You have to set the expectations. Everybody assumes everybody knows. But you know what they say about assume? Don't assume. Be very explicit. I would actually break it down even simpler than you think you need to and say, do you understand what I said? Okay, repeat back to me what your task is so they know. I can think of a dozen cases off the top of my head where 
people, they go, yeah, yeah, they got it. And they didn't get it. And they did a real bad job because they didn't completely understand. And I believe it, it was the on the onus of the leader to say, okay, do you really understand this? And maybe check up with them if it's a new task for them. Don't just assume because they go, yeah, yeah, and walked away. They understand. And so I think it starts with the leader. It'd be crystal clear. And if there's a problem with somebody, whether they're working in person or remotely, you've got to address it. You can't wait till a crisis comes along and go, man, I should have let them go a year ago. Well, now it's too late. Now what are you going to do? Because what if some people in your staff have COVID? What if they got, you know, people who have families got COVID? Now you're going to lose those staff. Now you got to keep this dead weight. It could all be avoided if you would have tackled that problem. Maybe not even hired them. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Maybe not even hired them. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite leadership books of all time is um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And one of the principles in the book um, is it's my absolute favorite phrase when I'm like talking to new supervisors who are really uncomfortable um, having difficult conversations with their employees. When she says as clear as kind. Um, that being clear about how somebody is performing or whether or not they're meeting their, your expectations or what you thought of the project that they handed in, being really explicit about how they um, performed is kind. It's not, it's not mean. Mm-hmm. It's kind because everybody wants to do good work. Yes. You know, most people want to do good work and it's on us as leaders to communicate what that is. And if we don't tell them what they've done wrong, they can't improve it. Hundred um, So I think, you know, that's, that's my favorite. And I found it really powerful when I kind of decided to take that on was that, you know, you're actually helping people by giving them feedback and telling them how they're performing. You are helping them be better. And that's kind. That's not mean it's kind. I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, we had a lot to talk about on the episode today. There's a <laughs> lot of gold here. But before I let you go, tell us who, tell us how we can find out more about you. Where are you online? Cause I know you're online because we're having this video online. So tell us, uh, you know, where can we find out more about you and your company? Yeah. So ScaleSpark's website is scalespark.co. Um, I do ha- I have my own podcast called Break the Ceiling and you can find that anywhere. You listen to podcasts. We talk mostly about, um, primarily about service businesses, but we talk about, you know, efficient operations behind the scenes. We talk about software and finances and um, all of those kind of nitty gritty details about running a service business. Um, and I'm most active on uh, Twitter socially, uh, and I'm at the Susan Bowles. Interesting you, you chose Twitter. Twitter has like been this old ghost town with tumbleweeds rolling around for me. LinkedIn is where it's at for me. And the reason why I say that is because every one of my guests, you're big on Twitter. Some people are big on Instagram. Some people are big on TikTok. It's interesting because there's something for everyone, but I could never get Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or Snapchat, or TikTok, or YouTube to go. But LinkedIn, boom, off like a rocket. So it's just amazing to find out you're really big on Twitter. Are you on LinkedIn at all? Do you do anything with LinkedIn? So I am on LinkedIn, um, but I have a love-hate with LinkedIn because it feels like every time I go to LinkedIn, I'm just spammed. Like the the LinkedIn inbox is just straight spam for me. Um, And I I still do a pretty good job of like trying to filter who my contacts are and all of those things. Um, But I I just have a hard time having genuine conversations with people on LinkedIn. Where Twitter for me is... Like you actually get to see the real person on Twitter in a way that you absolutely don't on LinkedIn. You don't on Facebook. Um, you see 
like really what's in someone's head on Twitter. And people are just, it just feels like they're having actual conversations in a way that I just don't see on other platforms very much. Um, and so I've been able to build like genuine connections with people. I would never have had um, a reason to talk to on Twitter that I just, I, I don't, maybe it's just the way that my brain thinks, I guess, um, <laughs> that I just interact with people so much better on Twitter because it's just things pop out of my head in tweet size <laughs> paragraphs. You know, I don't, I don't think in articles and I don't think in images, which is why I, I get really frustrated with Instagram. Um, mm. And um, yeah, I just, I've found so many real connections with people on Twitter that I haven't. On that other is so interesting. Platforms. And you're not alone. I know a lot of other people do really well on, on, on Twitter. I just happened that my tribe is over at LinkedIn. Now I know how to use it because LinkedIn is kind of like Snapchat. You really got to know the intricacies of using it. And now they're rolling out pages. So I've got a page and I've got a page for my podcast and, and I'm having fun with it. And the key is the, the key to understand LinkedIn is that they're a very confused platform. <laughs> I think the kids are still at the controls and cause they're, they're always coming out with this feature and all of a sudden it goes away and you're like, what happened? Oh, we decided to discontinue. They, they're kind of like Google. They come out with all these new features and they drop and add them and roll it out for, you know, two years and not, but of all the platforms, I get more engagement, more connections than anywhere else is on LinkedIn. And so I'm always fascinated. Some people go, Oh, LinkedIn, I'm killing, I'm, I'm killing it on Instagram. I'm killing it on Facebook. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad there's all these platforms out there because you can pick the one that you like the best and your fans are on there. And that's cool. Uh, if there's one platform, I think we, number one, to be so oversaturated, no one would ever see your stuff. And so like, you got to have it with 200. Well, you have 240 characters on the tweet, but now you can do like add on to like four more 240. So you can actually make a full yeah, length you can post. thread tweets. Yeah. So you can so. like post a whole, <laughs> like a really interesting article, but like the cool part about Twitter is the limitation in characters means that you have to distill your idea yes. down to a sentence or two. Yes. So it's can be it can be really powerful if you can actually craft it in that way. Yeah. Where, you know, on other platforms you can write as much as you want. Yeah. And that's not always great. That's not always better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I the problem I have with Twitter right now is so full of anger and hatred. And even though I've curated my feed, I still see a lot of this stuff. And so, but it's all personal preference. You have to do what works for you. And I would never mm -hmm. tell anyone you shouldn't be on this platform or you should be on this platform. You got to do what works for you. And you're doing what works for you. So my hat goes off to you because that's great. A lot of people, and I made this mistake too. I was on every platform. And I'm a firm believer that a new platform comes out, you should go get your username so no one else goes and gets it. So you should have like Susan Bowles on all the social media platforms. But yeah. you may never use TikTok, but at least you got your username because what you don't want to do. I do have my username on TikTok. Well, good for you. It's growing on me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. I, I go there every once in a while, but it's kind of insane. But the thing is, people go, well, I'm never going to use TikTok. But I said, what if you become famous and someone else and get someone else gets your username on TikTok. So you should always get your username on every platform. Fortunately, with a name like Mark Stuchowski, I don't have any worries of someone stealing my my username. This is not going to happen. Um, that's, I have an author that's Susan Bold. So all of my usernames are at the Susan oh, Bold no. on all the platforms. You need to talk um, to her about that. Does she know who you are? Does she know who she's messing with? <laughs> Well, listen, Susan, it's been an absolute thrill having you on the show. Thank you so much for all the wisdom you dropped uh, dropped on us today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.
And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com, and get my top five productivity tips for free right now today at mrproductivity.com. If you haven't done so already, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to this podcast and then tell two or three of your friends about it so I can help them as well. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.